God, we love you. And this morning we come to you and we come and worship. God, we come and we sing these, these words of praise to you. We come and we, we gather together. But God, the, the reason we're here is to hear from you. And so God, I pray that as we open up your word this morning, that as we, as we dig into a passage that, that's, that many find familiar, that you would just show us maybe something new. Show us how you, can, how you can move into our lives, God. God, get us focused on, on Easter. God, we love you. And I pray that you would speak to me this morning. God, no one, no one came to hear from me. We all come to hear from you, God. Let the words that are coming out of my mouth be your words and not mine. God, we love you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, we're starting a new series this morning uh, called Journey to the Cross. And uh, in the four weeks leading up to Easter, or three weeks now leading up to Easter, uh, we are going to just be, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> we're going to be looking at kind of snapshots of Jesus' life uh, and actually following Jesus from, in, the, in some of the places that he went where some important things happened in his life all the way up through Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and into the cross on Easter. And so today uh, we are going to take a look at, at at really the first place that Jesus starts his ministry. And actually a lot of his ministry is done in this place. It's a place called the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee, if you look in the back of one, there's maps in, in, in some of your Bibles as well, I'm sure, but there's maps in our pew Bibles, literally on the back cover. Uh, and uh, if you just open it up and then flip one more page back, there's a map there. And you can see the Sea of Galilee there. You can see where I'm talking about. You can see what exactly what I'm talking about. Jesus starts his ministry here. This is the place where Jesus calls his disciples. It's the place where he sees them as they're fishing, and he says, follow me, and they drop everything, and they follow him. There are some versions of, the, of Scripture that call this sea a lake, and that is uh, for a good reason. It's not very big, right? It's actually about the third of the size of Lake Tahoe, uh, and so it's not a, not a big sea. It's not a big, not a big body of water necessarily, uh, but this region is where we see a lot of Jesus' ministry, right? We see in Capernaum, he, he heals a paralytic. He heals the centurion's servant. And in Bethsaida, he feeds the 5,000. There's a, there's a blind man that he feeds. In Canaan, he, uh, in Cana, he, he turns the water into wine, one of his first miracles, right? There's some in Tiberias as well. The Jordan River goes in and out of this Sea of Galilee. Right? On the south side and the north side, it goes in and it goes out. And, and much of Jesus' life was spent Within about 100 miles of this sea, 100 miles of this body of water, Jesus spent much of his life and much of his ministry here. In the book of Mark, uh, chapters 4 to 6 specifically, there are, there are quite a few miracle stories right in a row that are focused around this sea. And I want to I talk about one this morning, but, but yeah, I, this, is the, this is the place where you see the calming of the storm, where Jesus is sleeping in the boat, and the disciples wake him up, and they say, Lord, don't you care if we drown? And Jesus wakes up, and he says, hey, where is your faith? That's a story on the Sea of Galilee. There's the story of the, of the woman who's been bleeding for 12 years and just touches Jesus' cloak, and, and she's healed. This is done around the Sea of Galilee. There's so many, so many stories of Jesus that's, that are around this place where Jesus started his ministry. One that I want to talk about this morning is in Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, 
starting at verse 30. If you're in one of our pew Bibles, it's on page 712. Uh, and like I said, uh, this, <clears throat> this story might be familiar to some of you, uh, maybe all of you, I don't know, but uh, I, I think there's a lot that we can see. And, and as we go through this series, we're going to be looking at kind of the character of Jesus as seen through these through these stories. Who is this Jesus that goes to the cross on Easter for us and rises from the grave three days later? Where, what, who is this guy? And so we're going to talk a little bit about his character as we follow him along in his ministry. And so starting in the Sea of Galilee this morning, Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then Because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half of a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? But he answered, no, I'm sorry, give them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Now, again, this is probably a familiar story to you. If you've been in, around the church for any, any sort of time, the feeding of the 5,000 is one of those stories that you, just, you hear of, right? And this, who is this Jesus guy? This Jesus guy can do all kinds of miracles. In fact, one time he fed 5,000 people, right? It, even if you haven't read the story, you've, you've heard of the story most likely. And so, but, but I want to just dig into this story a little bit because it teaches us, I think, a little bit about the character of Jesus. Not just a little bit, a lot about the character of Jesus. And who is this Jesus that, that we celebrate on Easter? See, this story kind of begins, in, in, as we read this morning, with a, a reunification of sorts of, with, between Jesus and his disciples who, who are called in this passage for the very first time apostles. Now, at the beginning of, of, of uh, chapter 6, uh, Jesus, <coughs> in the beginning of chapter 6, starting at verse 6, Jesus sends out these disciples, right? Then Jesus went, ar- went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to him and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. 
These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out, they preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. And so you see that these disciples are, are not with Jesus at the moment. They've, they're out. Jesus has sent them out in pairs, two by two, and they're out and they're doing some amazing things. Right? They're out and they're healing people. They're casting out demons. They're doing some, some crazy stuff. And so in the beginning of this story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, uh, Jesus calls these apostles. Apostles just means sent ones, right? And so disciples are kind of followers of Jesus. Apostles are the ones that he sent. And so you see the name change here. But he calls these apostles together, and they, they're getting together, and they're beginning to share these stories. Uh, you can just imagine, as these, these disciples have gone out, and they've, they've been in these cities, they've been in these villages, they've healed people, they've cast out demons, they've seen so many amazing things happen, and they're coming to Jesus, they're trying to tell their stories. Verse 30 says, the apostles gathered around Jesus, reported to him all they had done and taught. They're kind of, they're getting together, and they're telling Jesus about everything that has happened but there's a crowd gathering because they're talking to Jesus, and Jesus is a guy who gathers a lot of crowds. And so Jesus pulls them away, and he says, let's go someplace quiet. You need to eat. You need to get some rest. So Jesus pulls them into a boat. And, and it, I, I told you earlier, the, the Sea of Galilee is not really that big, and so, so people know where they're going, right? They can see where they're going off to, and they they race around and they catch them. And you can see, you can just imagine this, right? They pull into a cove and there's people there. And it's like, man, we just need some rest. They pull out and they pull into another cove and there's people there. And we just need some rest. And so yeah, they, you can imagine kind of the frustration on the disciples' part. They just want to share their stories with Jesus. They just want to just share what has just happened. They're excited about being used. They're excited about casting out demons and, and doing some healings and, and anointing people with oil and seeing all kinds of amazing things. They just want to share with Jesus. They want to kind of have a, a private moment with Jesus. They just want to eat. They haven't eaten in a while. They're hungry, right? And so, so they pull into this cove. And there's a crowd there. And there's really, there's really two reactions to this crowd. There's Jesus' reaction. There's the disciples' reaction. And actually, the scripture, if you read it, even, even calls this out, right? In, in verse, uh, <coughs> let's see here, uh, verse 34. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he was separating this. When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Jesus' response here, I think, shares a lot about Jesus with us. When Jesus landed here, he had compassion on them. Now, I love this word, compassion, and I love kind of the, the root of this word, compassion. It's the, the Greek word is, uh, <clears throat> I'm going to splanknizomai. That's the Greek word here, right? It comes from the root word splankna, which means like literally the entrails of people, 
right? The guts, we would say. Right? And so, so Jesus has compassion on these people. And, and literally it's saying that he is, he's having compassion on these people from the deepest parts of who he is. His, his, he's having like the, the deepest part, the guts, in his, in his very guts, in the very core of who he is. Jesus is having compassion on these people. See, the, this, this area was talked about and spoken about and written about as the place where our, our deepest feelings are held, where our most intimate and intense feelings are. And this is the kind of compassion that Jesus is having on this crowd. Jesus sees this crowd, he pulls up, and he gets out of the boat, and he says they had compassion on him. And it wasn't just because they were hungry. Jesus knew they would be hungry. It was because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They hadn't been taught. This word is related to to a Hebrew word, rakamim, which means the womb of Yahweh. Now, I want you to just think about this. That the only way <clears throat> to think about the kind of compassion that Jesus is having on this crowd is to talk about a kind of compassion that comes from the very womb of God. This is the compassion that Jesus shows to this crowd, and, and I, it's the compassion that he shows to you and me as well. I mean, Jesus loves you, and he feels compassion on you. And the kind of compassion that Jesus has is not just a a surface-level compassion, like, yeah, I feel bad for you. It's from the deepest parts of who he is, from, from his guts. And this is this intense in, in, in intimate compassion that Jesus has, and this is this is how he reacts. This is this is how he reacts to this crowd, and it's it's a deeper need than just hunger. Jesus sees this. Here's how the disciples react. The disciples, <clears throat> verse thirty-five. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. <clears throat> now, I think oftentimes we look at the disciples and we think, well, what, they didn't think they could feed them? Or they just didn't have enough faith to do this? I think, I think you look at the disciples and, and that's, not, that's not how I read that. I think I read that and I see disciples who, who kind of see the need coming. Know like, hey, these people have been here for a while. They've come a long way. And if we don't send them away to eat soon, we're going to have a big problem on our hands. It's almost like a little, they're, they're looking ahead a little bit, right? They're seeing, they're seeing the problem that will arise and saying, Jesus, you need to send these people away so they can go eat. And I love Jesus' reaction to them. You do it. You feed them. You give them something to eat. You do it, right? And <clears throat> Jesus, it, I, I can imagine the disciples' reactions like, huh? Like, you want us to feed them. Okay, that would take... Half a year's wages, God and Jesus. I mean, if that's what you want me to do, I mean, I guess we can go get food. But (coughs) you can imagine just kind of the confusion here. The disciples are are caring for these people enough to say, "Hey, look, let's let's send them away. Let's send them to the city. Let's go give them some food." And Jesus says, "You feed them." And it's like, "Ah, Jesus, not only do we not have that kind of money, right? We might, I don't know, but why?" 
Why would we feed them? Why, why would we need to do that? There's, there's villages and there's cities that are not all that far. They can go and get their own food. Jesus says, <clears throat> you feed them. You give them something to eat. How many loaves do you have? Go and see. So they go out and they collect these loaves. They collect five loaves and two fish. <clears throat> five loaves and two fish. Now, there's a side note here. I just want to... I was thinking this week. <clears throat> or yesterday. I was just thinking about this. It says there's 5,000 men. And a lot of times we say, but that's not including women and children. So there's probably somewhere between... 10 and 12,000 people, maybe 20,000, who knows, people here that are being fed by, by Jesus. <clears throat> As I began to think about this last night, I thought, there might have only been men in that crowd. And here's why. Because if there were women in that crowd, I guarantee you they would have found more than five loaves and two fish. <clears throat> my kids get hungry in the back seat, and my wife pulls food out of nowhere, like, uh, here's, some, here's some snacks, here's some food, here, don't be hungry, here, do this. And it's like, yeah, if there were women in that crowd, they would have been a lot more prepared for this, right? They would have brought food, they would have had food with them. Anyways, just a side note. There are 5,000 men and, and probably women and children there as well. <clears throat> but Jesus, he takes it, he takes these five loaves and these two fish, he blesses it, and he begins to pass it out. He begins to pass it out, and it says that, that everyone ate and they were satisfied. Now, I want you to know what the satisfied word means. The satisfied word literally means that no one could eat another bite. They were, they, not only did they eat, they were all full. Full to the point where they couldn't eat anymore. That's what, that's what it means when they all ate and they were satisfied. They were, they were full to the brim. They were stuffed. Like this is Thanksgiving Day kind of full here, right? This is what we're talking about. They all ate and they were full. 5,000 men, who knows how many women and children, all ate and were satisfied. All ate and were full. Amen. You know, part of me wonders why, why the disciples reacted the way they did. Right? They've, they've just come from, <clears throat> they've come from around the, the countryside. They've come from around the surrounding villages. They've just done some amazing miracles. They've healed people. They've cast out demons. They have done everything in the name of Jesus. And they come, and Jesus says, I want you to feed them. And their first thought is, that would be a lot of money. I wonder why, I wonder about this reaction. I wonder, like, after doing all of that, why wouldn't the reaction be, show us how? Right? Okay, we can feed them. I, under, I know that you can do it, right? We've just done all kinds of miracles even without you. You've, you've given us the authority to do all of this stuff, God. So if you want us to feed them, show us how. Show us how to do this. Right? Their first thought, is obviously, is money. But, but I wonder why they didn't just, I wonder why it wasn't show us how. Now, there's a few ways to look at this passage. A few different angles we could take as we look at this passage, right? We can look at this package, passage and see the compassion of Jesus, which I want us to see this morning. I want us to see the deep compassion that Jesus has on his people, on this crowd. But not only on this crowd, I want you to know that Jesus shows the same compassion for you and for me. I, I truly believe that this compassion is really the, the only way that we get to the cross. This deep compassion within himself to say, I love my people so much that I would sacrifice 
my own son for them, literally from the womb of God, I would sacrifice. This is the kind of compassion that God has on us. This is, this is what we celebrate on Easter, is this compassion that he had where he sent his son to die for you and to die for me, and then he rose again on the third day, and, and we're, we're free. We're free from sin. We're free from all of this because of the compassion and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. We could focus on that compassion this morning. I think we'll do that in a few weeks. We could focus this morning on the disciples and and maybe even, maybe their lack of faith even in this. To be able to say like, hey, Send them away. Like, get them, get them out of here. They need to go eat. They need to go do this. And, and obviously, we, we can't. And Jesus says, you feed them. And, and their first response is, that's going to be expensive. Right, we could talk about that. But I think instead, I want to I talk about the crowd. The crowd who experienced the provision of God in this, the provision of Christ. The crowd who is sitting on the grass just, just wanting more of Jesus. And was able to, to experience this kind of provision from God. This provision that says, hey, I know that you just want to be taught. I feel compassion on you because you haven't been taught. You haven't heard of me. You haven't heard what I have to say. I have compassion on you. You are like sheep without a shepherd. I feel this deep compassion on you. This crowd was chasing after Jesus and the provision came. And oftentimes I think this is when the provision happens. All right, this crowd was in such a vulnerable place. All right, they were in a place in life where, where they could, I mean, they, were, they did it out of their own free will, right? They came and they came to this remote place to hear the words of Jesus, but they put themselves in a tough spot, right? They put themselves in a spot that says, well, hey, I don't have any food with me. I'm going to listen to Jesus until I can't anymore. I'm going to hang out with Jesus until I literally can't take it, until I need to go get food. And the disciples see this, right? The disciples see this vulnerability in this crowd. They say, hey, look, they're going to just stay and stay and stay. You need to send them away. As long as you're teaching, they will be here. So send them away so they can go get some food. Right, these, this crowd is chasing after Jesus and, and being vulnerable. They put themselves in a tough spot, and it's in that time where God provides for them. And it's, it's, it's this time often when provision happens for us as well, when we're far from our comfort, far from normal, far from the known, far from the common, that God needs to, to show up for this to work out. Have you ever been in a place where, where you finally came to the conclusion that you couldn't do it on your own? And you heard the voice of God in the back of your mind say, I don't know why you were trying in the first place. I, heard a, I, heard, I read a quote that just came to my mind, actually, from, I think it was Francis Chan in one of his books, I think Crazy Love. He said this, <clears throat> What is it in your life, or can anything in your life, be explained apart from the Holy Spirit? Can anything going on in your life be explained apart from the Holy Spirit? How often do we put ourselves 
and these vulnerable positions, these vulnerable spots where God needs to show up or it's not going to happen. If God doesn't show up, then this is not going to work out very well. How often do we put ourselves in those positions? It's in those positions and it's in those times when the provision of God becomes so real to us. A story of my own life and just experiencing this provision of God. I mean, I could go on all day about experiencing the provision of God, but I remember, <clears throat> I think I've shared this story with you before, about my first day at college. My first day at college was the last day that my parents were together. They took me to college, and they went home, and that was kind of it. On that day, I went to talk to my roommate, or my future roommate, uh, who I had known from a long time ago. His name was Brandon. His roommate had known this girl from a preview day like six months ago. So this girl came to talk to Brandon's roommate, and I was there to talk to Brandon, and I met this girl. Her name's Rachel. And it was on the very first day of school that I met her. Now, years later, like years later, like three years ago, <clears throat> I'm talking to a, to a guy from Point Loma. His name's Ron Benefiel. He was the, the dean of my master's program there, and he was just interviewing me. He, we, I had known him from a long time ago, so he was asking about my family, asking about how I dealt with everything and all this kind of stuff, and I was telling the story of how I met my wife, and he said, oh, isn't that awesome? Isn't God good? And I was like, yeah, God is, yeah, God is good, but I don't know, I mean, I don't know where you're going with that. <laughs> you know, nowhere in the story was I really talking about God necessarily, it was just, I met my wife on the first day of school, and, but I had told him about my parents coming, and the last thing I did was on driving out to school. He said, isn't it awesome, God's provision in your life, that on the last day that your family was together, he gave you your new one? Blew my mind when he said that. I hadn't thought of it that way before. Right? I, hadn't, I hadn't thought about that timing. But it's right. I mean, this is God's provision in my life. And I had gone to school thinking, this is... God, I'm, I'm going to, I don't know what to do anymore. I'm giving it to you. I'm going to give you another shot. Let's do this. It was on that day that I met my future wife. I think when we put ourselves in vulnerable spots, in a spot where God has to show up or this isn't going to end right, that God shows up and God provides in some very real and tangible ways for us, in a place of need, whether emotionally or spiritually, I think if we chase after Jesus the way this crowd was chasing after Jesus, I think about this crowd. This crowd just just knew that Jesus would be in the area, and it says they ran to meet him. They were literally chasing Jesus around, around this lake. They're, They're literally chasing Jesus, and Jesus provides for them. Now, I think there are some of us in here who who are maybe in a need. Maybe it's an emotional need, maybe it's a physical need, maybe it's, I don't know. Maybe we've been trying to do it on our own. But I want to share with you this morning that this God that we serve, 
This God that we come and we worship, this, this Jesus that we celebrate in three weeks on Easter, this, this same God shows the same kind of compassion to you. And when you can finally be able to say, God, if you don't show up, this isn't going to end right. I need you in my life. God will provide. We have a God who loves to provide who loves his people enough to to send his son to die on the cross for them. We have a a God who loves to provide for his people. But we need to let him provide for us. We need to stop trying to do it on our own and just, just allow God. There's one thing I know about this crowd. They were chasing Jesus. Are you chasing Jesus? As we come up to Easter here, I just uh, I want us to begin thinking about our relationship with Christ. And I want you to kind of assess where you're at. And here's the question I want you to ask yourself every morning. Am I chasing Jesus? Am I chasing after him? Is he all that I want and all that I need and all that I desire? Think about this crowd. They didn't even care to pack food for themselves. All they knew was that Jesus was coming and they wanted it. Let's go. Let's go now. I don't want to miss this. Are you chasing Jesus? Are you chasing after him with your life? Is there anything that is more important than him in your life? Is there anything that is coming between you and him? Is there anything that you would stay behind to do instead of going and chasing after Jesus? Put yourself in, this, in the place of that crowd. You hear Jesus coming. Do you go? Do you chase after him? Do you just want to just hear the words that are coming out of his mouth and just be in awe of who he is. Is this, is this your feelings about Jesus? I want you to just think about your relationship with Christ in this way. Jesus is a man of profound compassion. I know that about Jesus. I know his character. He is a man of profound compassion. If we will give up and stop trying to do it on our own and allow God to move in and through our lives and be able to provide for us that God will provide. We have a God who cares about you from the deepest part of who he is, literally from his womb, it says in Scripture. Will you let it happen? Will you lay down your arms? Well, you say, I'm not going to try and do this on my own anymore. I'm going to allow you to come in and to live in and through me, God. I'm going I'm to chase after you with everything that I have. There's not going to be anything in my life that is more important than my relationship with you. I just want to hear you speak. I just want to see you face to face. I just want to know you. I just, I just want you, Jesus. God provides for his people. Let him provide for you. Chase after him with all that you have. Let's pray this morning. God, we love you.
And God, this morning we come and we just, we pray. We come and we lift up our words to you and we know that you hear our words. Isn't that such an amazing thing that we know that you hear us when we speak, God? We, you hear us when we pray. God, our prayer this morning is that we would, we would be a church and we would be a people who chase after you. God, we would become a people who, who know and have experienced the provision of you, God, that know and experience the compassion that you show to us, God, that, that we can tell stories about the compassion that you've shown from, from the deepest parts, from your guts, God, from the womb of God, this compassion that we feel. God, may we go out and may we tell our stories. And may we know that it is you who provides that when we stop trying to do everything on our own and we start allowing you to move in and through us, God, that, that life changes. That we begin to experience you in brand new ways. May that be true this week as we go. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Will you stand with me this morning? Let me just pray this prayer of blessing on you. May our God, whose scripture says is able to provide even more than we can ask or imagine, be your provider this week. May you feel his love. May you feel his touch. May you feel his guidance as you go into wherever you may find yourselves. And may you make a difference for him this week. Go in peace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.